never say die! Fourteen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Forty Going On Fourteen. I am Mike. I am Patrick. I'm Joel, and I'm Josh. And this week we took a look at Dolomite, which is pretty much the poor man's shaft. And then we took a look at My Name Is Dolomite, starring Eddie Murphy, who's pretty much the poor man's Eddie Murphy. <laughs> oh, ah, I'm a donkey, Shrek. Yeah, that's not a good Eddie Murphy. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's not supposed to be. Well, then, congrats. I mean, Eddie Murphy's not a good Eddie Murphy. That was kind of the point I was getting <laughs> yeah, at. Yeah, right. <laughs> Even Eddie Murphy is a sad version of Eddie Murphy. <laughs> oh, Aww. but he was so good in Dreamgirls. Yeah, then True. my name is Dol- or Dolomite is my name. He was also good in that. Yeah, but I wanted to do the Eddie Murphy show, so we, but we we'll get to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll we'll, it. we'll do Dolomite is my name as a. As a salvi until then. Yeah. Yep. So that's the Dolomite Show. Welcome to the Dolomite Show. Good night, everybody. (laughs) If you like abrupt endings, you might like the shows on the Podcast Collective. At this point, I'm just going to set myself if you guys aren't going to. You'll find such shows as I Am Salt Lake, Tales from the Hard Side, The Empty Rant Podcast, and The Rad Dad Radio Hour. I, I thought you were going to do like some kind of like funky bass line this week. I know he leaned a little towards Benny Hill. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he's been leaning Benny Hillish. <laughs> the funky thing was it, was it was too obvious. Yeah. God for you ever going for the easy joke. Or the normal joke or the popular one. Yeah. He goes for the hipster joke. The one that nobody's ever heard of. The joke that was funny 10 years ago, or will be funny in 20 years, but not funny now. But he has a t-shirt of it. (laughs) The popular joke beat him up in high school. (laughs) Popular joke killed my dad. Okay, we've lost momentum. (laughs) I didn't have to say anything. You guys just went off on a little thing. Yeah, you're looking for more. Shut up, rich boy. (laughs) iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. Give us a call, 708-NOW-RAP, 708-669-9727, and I don't believe we have any voicemails. You believe correctly. I am a genius. There you go. Uh, And? You believe incorrectly. I didn't finish my sentence. Oh, I was just... Never mind. Uh, What's that? What? What? What time? What? Who are you people? (gasps) 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 Get off my lawn. This week in music, movies, and TV. And sports, motherfucker. <laughs> so I think it was about that time, is what you're saying? It was about that time. I made, <laughs> I, made a, I made a call. It's about that time. So yes, the week that we are doing is April 26, 1975, the release date of the original Dolomite. All right. So music, the number one song in the land was Hey, Won't You Play Another Somebody Done Somebody Wrong Song by B.J. Thomas. I completely love that song. I do, too. Yeah. You you wouldn't have loved it so much when I almost made it the acronym of the week, though. Uh, oh, yeah, I would have hated that. <laughs> hey, won't you play? I mean, just like most B.J. Thomas songs, it's just a fun little jaunt of a... It's like a it's it's like a Scott Joplin song, but you know, in the eighties. 
or 70s rather. It's like a theme song to a TV show. It's kind of folky, little country-ish. Yeah. But yeah, I like it. Good stuff. Hey, he's still touring. He is? Yeah, yeah he, he just played not too long ago at a little 250-seat uh, restaurant around the corner for me. He's going to be at the Golden Nugget Hotel and Casino in Las Vegas. Road trip? <laughs> I can't even get you guys to come to Houston, much less Vegas. How about Stafford, Texas? He's going to be there at the Republic Country Club in Barbara. You're not going to get me to go to Stafford, Texas. <laughs> get a Stafford infection. Holy shit, that was funny. What, was it? <laughs> I, I don't know. I, maybe. Was it? I, I, I don't know. I think, I think maybe you've been exposed to Joel too long. I'm building up resistance. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting through is what I'm saying. Oh. He's wearing you down. Ah, that's, that's how I do things. Slowly whittle away, erode. It's, it's only taken 20 years for him to finally break through to the other side. <laughs> Before you know it, you're just sitting there with Captain Banana. <laughs> Jesus Christ, shut up. Yes. <laughs> Captain Banana is just like, eh, I'm a banana. What do you expect? <laughs> what are you looking for me for? <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, I'm so happy. He got, he got promoted out of, you know, one of those guys got what, had a failure, failed up, and get promoted up because they just keep, you know what I'm talking about? The guys, yeah, but, you know, but the thing, and it's, it is, uh, I don't know if that's, I can't, up. Oh, yeah, this may all make the, the cutting room floor, just FYI. <laughs> now we can just claim we're doing a method. We're doing it as though we're making a Dolomite kind of episode. <laughs> that's right, motherfucker. Uh, so Nathan Jonas Joey Jordanson was born April 26th. He is best known for his work as the former drummer and co-songwriter for Slipknot, as well as guitarist in the American horror punk band Murder Dolls. Huh. The thing about Slipknot <laughs> is as interesting as their visual aesthetic is, their music is like the opposite of that in terms of how interesting it is, at least to me. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Like, I want, I was like, those guys look awesome. They must sound great. And then I turned on their music. I was like, oh, okay. They're actually regulars at one of our hotels out in um, Des Moines. I would like them better if they if they looked like they looked and sounded like Nickelback. As weird as that is. I would like it if they looked like they looked and sounded like B.J. Thomas. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. That would be hilarious. <laughs> That's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> they look like they look, and they sound like Mumford and Sons. <laughs> that would be incredibly scary. Do you have any idea what a nightmare that would be if those guys in those outfits pulled out a bunch of like banjos? And it was ukuleles? all your fault, mine. <laughs> it was yawn on. I really fucked it up this time. What you don't want to see is, is a guy in a leather mask <laughs> pulling out a banjo. You definitely don't want to see that. Singing the blank page. I think I want to see that. <laughs> Let's get started on that shit. All right, moving on. Peter William Ham was a Welsh singer, songwriter, and guitarist, best known as a lead vocalist and composer of the 70s rock band Badfinger, whose hit songs include Come and Get It, No Matter What, Day After Day, and Baby Blue. The first band signed to the Beatles' Apple Records, Ham and it had a close relationship with all the Fab Four, collaborating on several albums with them. He also co-wrote The Ballad Without You, a worldwide number one hit for Harry Nilsson, and has become a standard covered by hundreds of artists. 
when the band's business manager, Stan Polly, disappeared along with their advance for signing to Warner Brothers, the band found that they were left penniless. Already someone who struggled with depression and believing he had been financially wiped out, Ham hanged himself in his garage three days before his 28th birthday on April 24th. Who doesn't love a hanging ham? Dude. <laughs> but yeah, if you guys don't know uh, the band Badfinger, I'm sure you know some of their songs. They're one of those kind of bands that when you're like, I don't know them. And then you hear their songs. Oh, they did that. Yeah. That's how most people are with Badfinger. But they have they have one of the saddest stories in all of rock and roll because one of the other founding members hung himself eight years later when they were trying Jesus. to redo reboot the band and everything fell apart again. He yeah he hung himself. Rum ham. <laughs> and finally. But yeah, the, <clears throat> wait real quick to to bring it up just a little bit after that. Um, one of the coolest stories about them is that the song "Come and Get It," their very first hit, it rose to like number fourteen in America, number six in in the UK or something. They had signed with um with with Apple Records, and Paul McCartney walks in on them one day. They're trying to you know they're they're recording some songs and they're and submitting them, and they're like, no, we don't really like you know this one. We don't think this one's a hit. And they're like, oh come on, let's try this one. No, we don't like that one. And McCartney finally just walks in on them one day when they're in the studio, and he gives them a song. And he says, this is the song, and he gives them a demo of him performing it. And he's like, perform it like this. This is the song, and this is going to be your first hit. And the, the guy's are like, well, well, can we trade you? Know, they listen to it. They're like, we want to change this. We want to change that. He's like, no, don't change anything. Do it just like that. That's the hit. And so they've recorded Come and Get It exactly like he said. And it went all the way you know, up to in the, of course, the top of the charts. I'm Paul McCartney. Exactly. <laughs> he's, he's like, I write so many hits. I'm just giving you one. He's like, I know this is a hit. It's going to make you a ton of money and make you popular. Just have it and do it like that. <laughs> And they did, and it and it rose up, and they got famous, and the rest of the songs, you know, were theirs after that. But wow, well, good on him. Yeah, I mean, it's a very Badfinger's a very interesting story. I like they're like one of my favorite little underrated bands. Hmm. And you know, there's two suicides in there. Of course, I love them. Such a great story. Yikes! <laughs> I'm afraid it's Slipknot. All right, and finally, on May 1st, the Rolling Stones announced their forthcoming North American tour by performing Brown Sugar from a flatbed truck on Fifth Avenue in New York City. The occasion was guitarist Ronnie Wood's debut with the band. All right, since no one has anything to say about that, we'll move <laughs> on to movies. The number one movie in the land was Shark's Treasure, a 1975 American adventure film produced and directed by Cornell Wilde and starring Cornell Wilde and Yafet Koto. Never heard of it. Really? Either. There was nothing in movies. Huh. It was so hard to find even these two bullet points. We're going to steal that shark's treasure. <laughs> he says Captain Banana. <laughs> oh, and a bottle of chum. Also released this week was Death Race 2000. <laughs> we did that show. Yeah, you know something about a big baked potato. <laughs> and then a thing, and it's something, and, if it, and that's, I don't know, it's an up. What the hell just happened to you? He's trying to make fun of me earlier when I stumbled over my words, because uh... he, he gets so rare, so rarely gets the opportunity to make fun of how I talk. So he wants to jump on that little colonel. Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Match and point. God damn it. Now That's I can't edit. Now I can't cut any of this out. 
That was I'm too so funny. Happy. <laughs> Fuck. All right, that's it. We're going home. Show is over. I don't. See, Joel, you ruin everything. I don't want to talk about any more of this motherfucker. You rat soup eating motherfucker. You, you rat right. soup eating motherfucker. The TV. <laughs> top shows in the land were very 1970s. All in the Family, Rich Man, Poor Man, Laverne and Shirley, and Maud. Yeah. That's cool. I've never seen Rich Man, Poor Man. Have any of you guys? I've no. heard it mentioned on that 70s show, but I've never seen it. Rich Man, Poor Man. Let's see. I know what it's about, but I mean, I've never seen it. It was a miniseries. Yeah, but I mean, it's based on the I know what the book was about. The book was written about a poor kid who his best friend, his father was a billionaire. And like he compared the two lives, you know, and and how his both of the fathers lived and why one was rich and oh. one was poor. So you're saying it's about a rich man and a poor man. Yeah, yeah. It's not just a clever title. Oh, this sounds awesome. Nick Nolte, Ray Milland and Bill Bixby. Dun, 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 dun. 1974 Nick Nolte. He was the, I would bet you that he is the rich man or he's the poor man. He might be one or the other, but he's definitely one of the two men. <laughs> he's, the, he's like the middle class man, actually. <laughs> no, he's just a butler. <laughs> I'm the ice cream man. <laughs> Can you imagine Nick Nolte signs up to be a rich man, poor man, and he's just not even either one of those guys. <laughs> See, no, I'm the poor man's dad. That's a... And, oh, and had your favorite, Kim Darby. Oh. Yeah. I'm yeah. out. Never mind. Just like that. TV coverage was dominated by the fall of Saigon, which took place on April 30th, effectively ending the Vietnam War as a victory for the communists at 10.24 a.m. local time. South Vietnamese President Duong Van Minh announced the surrender of the nation to North Vietnamese invaders. Well, as long as they were happy. Somebody was. I'm guessing it was North Vietnam. Uh, William Hartnell, British actor who was the uh-huh. first 13 actors who portrayed Doctor Who in the show of the same name, died on April 23rd. He was also well known for his roles as Sergeant Grimshaw, the title character of Carry On Sergeant, as Company Sergeant Major Percy Bullimore in the sitcom The Army Game, and played opposite Captain Banana. <laughs> and got a, I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> in Shark's Treasure. Yes. Johnny Galecki, American television actor from Roseanne and the Big Bang Theory, was born in Brie, Belgium on April 30th. Huh. Really? Yeah. He was in uh, Big Bang Theory. Who knew? I didn't know he was born in Belgium. I didn't either. I thought everybody knew that. Josh knew that. Josh wrote the book on Johnny Galecki. I know. Right? I'm sorry. I'm reading about Yafet Koto. <laughs> He got lost in a Predator wiki. <laughs> he was to go back in the conversation? <laughs> on April 21st, Days of Our Lives became the second American soap opera to expand from 30 minutes to an hour in length, making dinner late by 30 minutes all across the United States. <laughs> it was 74. All right. In sports, a week sports week. Week sports week. On April 26th, George Foreman... In his first ring appearance since losing the World Heavyweight Championship to Muhammad Ali, fought five different challengers in Toronto as part of a televised exhibition promoted by Don King as the acronym of the week, FVF. I'm pretty sure that stands for Furniture versus Farts. <laughs> Fartsween! 
Uh, you know, that is not furniture versus farts. That is foreman versus five. Sorry, you were very close, though. Hmm. I like that you had nope. to, to double check on what it was. Yep. Oh, it was Don King, so I just assumed. Ah. You were, you, you know, you're not, you're not far off from some Don King shit. I've seen a lot of weird shit that guy's promoted. Anyway, moving on. Rather than facing one challenger for 15 rounds, he went up three rounds with each fighter. The fearsome fivesome, fivesome consisted of Alonzo Johnson, Jerry Judge, Terry Daniels, Charlie Polite, and Boone Kirkman. Yes, the Boone Kirkman. Whatever. Each one of those guys received $7,500 for their ass kicking. So who won? I'm going to go with uh, George Foreman. Yeah, I'm pretty sure George Foreman won because we don't know any of those names. True. I think we would probably know one of those names if they managed to knock out George Foreman. In the meantime, Don King's like, what if we put all five in at the same time? (laughs) I'd pay to see that. I'd pay to see George Foreman versus Andre the Giant. Oh. Ooh. It'd be like Rocky versus Thunderlips. Winner gets a grill. Like propane? No, like no, a George Foreman grill. Oh. I figure he meant for the teeth. Yeah, Why would George Foreman fight for a grill? He can have one anytime he wants. Because he's going to win. Yeah, but he already has. There's no point in fighting. He's promoting himself with the grill. That'd be like if somebody said, hey, do you want to do you want to fight for Laura? You're like, why would I fight? Because I already have her. Like, why would I even risk that? It makes no sense. He already has all the foreman grills he wants. Right, but Laura, in this situation, Laura is your foreman grill. And each of them gets a grill. Josh, you following any of this? <laughs> I was hoping we'd have been played off by now. <laughs> Are you still down on Yafet Kodo? <laughs> like a circus seal. I'm always down with Yafet Kodo. Ah. I eat green berets for breakfast. All right, there you go. Take us out, keyboard Joel. No, 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 no. All right, so then Dolomite is a pimp who was set up by Willie Green and the cops to have planted drugs, stolen furs, and guns in his trunk and got himself sentenced to 20 years in jail. One day, Queen Bee and the warden planned to get him out of jail and get Willie Green and Mitchell busted for what they did to him. However, Dolomite is no stupid man and has a lot of warriors backing him, such as his call girls, who are karate experts, and lots more. And for his awful, that was by Ali Jordinia, also known as Kung Fu Lei on IMDb. The only, strangely enough, the only summary that that user has done. Uh, but still was a lot better than the one that IMD had in for the official summary. So, Dolomite. Directed by Dervell Martin. The Dervell Martin. Dolomite. Dolomite. Everybody knows him from Rosemary's Baby, where he played Diego. Oh, yeah. And uh, let's uh, guess who's coming to dinner. Apparently he was in that also. He played the dinner. Mm -hmm. He played the biscuits. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? (laughs) That may not be true, listeners. (laughs) Look it up, though. (laughs) <laughs> can't, can't I don't. Wrong. I don't. I don't know enough about biscuits to say yes or no on that one. But yeah. So this is also written by Terry Jones, who did the screenplay. No, Jerry Jones. Jerry Jones. Jerry. Yeah, Jones. Terry Jones is with Monty Python. Yeah. Oh, that's right. That that would have been interesting too. Jerry Jones, who's also uh, written such things as Human Tornado. 
human tornado, but has been in MASH, The Long Goodbye, Disco Godfather, Hill Street Blues, and All of Us was the last thing he did in 2004. Disco Godfather, another Rudy Ray Moore joint. Yeah, he died in 2012. And Rudy Ray Moore did the original adaptation. In case you didn't know, in the credits, he's listed as R.R. Moore. Uh, passed away 20, uh, 2008. Known for all the Rudy Ray Moore movies. Petey Wheatstraw, Disco Godfather, The Human Tornado. And most recently, uh, he was cop one in something called a stupid movie for jerks. <laughs> and he uh, he came back as Dolomite for a third film. Yes, he did. Yep. In 2002, the Dolomite explosion. And a lot of little cameo type stuff all around where he Yeah, was. there were three Dolomite movies total. Three? Yep. Dolomite, Human Tornado, and uh, Dolomite oh, Explosion. Wait. The Dolomitiest. No, t- t- Disco Godfather was a different character. That was more like an anti drug movie. Oh. And uh, Petey Wheatstraw was the devil's son in law. Got it. That is a strange sentence. <laughs> Clarification on that, Joel. You're welcome. Uh, I didn't know who else. I mean, if I know who to go to now. Uh, Rudy Ray Moore plays Dolomite. Devrell Martin plays Willie Green. Jerry Jones. Yes, that Jerry Jones plays Blakely. Lady Reed is played by Queen Bee. Introducing Lady Reed. Right. Uh, Dino Washington is one of Willie Green's henchmen. Just put that in there because I think Dino Washington is a hilarious and great name. Uh, High Pike is Mayor Daly in this as Monty High Pike. Uh, Also was in Blade Runner. Had a lot of near penises in this movie with him. Yeah, there were. He played a... Okay, Josh, you're the only other person that I think could pick this out. He played a character called Taffy Lewis in Blade Runner. Ring any bells? Yep, I guess he does. Uh, I, thought, I thought he looked familiar when I saw the movie. I was like, I think I've seen that guy, but he can't act his way out of a paper bag, so maybe not. Yeah, maybe he just like was standing in the background of a scene or something. And had well, it. without the towel on, he's hard to recognize. Yeah, true. Uh, Venus Rackstraw as Creeper, or otherwise known as the Hamburger Pimp. <laughs> as Reverend Gibbs. Did you guys notice that uh, the creeper was wearing a Dolomite shirt? I did. Mm-hmm. Inside I out. I did not. Yeah, inside out and backwards, but he was wearing it. Yeah. Huh. I'll suck right. your dick, man. All right, so the script called for a penny hustler, but Rudy Ray Moore and Jerry Jones were unable to find a suitable actor through Moore's acquaintances or among Jones' acting class students. After filming began, Moore and Jones were traveling down Western Avenue in Los Angeles when they spotted the exact type of character they were looking for hustling on the street. They pulled over, Jones got out and talked to the man, and Venus Rackstraw was hired as the Creeper Hamburger Pimp on the spot. (laughs) That's awesome. So I officially vote uh, Venus Rackstraw as the best method actor in this movie. (laughs) I've been doing crack for 20 years in preparation for this role. Keyword meth. My time has come. No, this is crack. 75. Crack or heroin? He was doing heroin. This is the beginning of crack. In the mid-70s. Before before white people had discovered crack. 
not going to fight him on this. It's true. <laughs> I, 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 you say so, I believe you, actually. So this film is noted influence on the works of filmmaker Quentin Tarantino, Snoop Dogg, and Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Snoop Dogg's very vocal about his... his he, w- he said he wouldn't be who he is without uh, Rudy Ray Moore. Mm-hmm. And the movie is referenced in the beginning of music video Let Me Ride by Dr. Dre and Snoop Dogg. In the video, Dre is at home watching the $20 sack pyramid on TV. And the answer to one question is things Dolomite would say. The song Nothing But a G-Thang includes the line Pimp and Hose and Clock in the Grip like my name was Dolomite. Yep. So, yep. Gotta give them what they want. And uh, featured very heavily in the music video Got Your Money by ODB. Our old Dittered Bastard. The video consists footage from this movie with ODB's head superimposed over a character. <laughs> I suddenly oh. really want to see this video now. Those are two great songs, too. Yeah. And uh, at approximately... Three, one... really. Actually, sorry. Three one great songs. Three, yes. Three great songs. No uh, uh, uh. effects. Um, at approximately 124, when the hitmen arrive at the hospital and the phone rings in the nurse's station, you can hear calling Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Yep. Feelgood, you are wanted in inhalation therapy. They believe this may be a reference to smoking marijuana. Yeah, it was, it was subtle in the background, but you could hear it. I actually noticed it. I mean, Dr. Feelgood is one of those names that like jumps out at you. Yep. Yeah, it wasn't exactly subtle. I think they were trying to be subtle and it did not happen. <laughs> kind of like Dr. Captain Banana. Exactly like Dr. Captain Vanilla. Just jumps right out at you. So the first question, is this a first viewing for any of us? Was for me. Same here. It actually was for me. I thought I'd seen Dolomite before, but I was mixing it up with Superfly. I own it. <laughs> of course you do. I own it on Blu-ray. Uh, no, this is not my first time. So, honestly, I have never seen such an homage to the cultural black 70s life that I have in this movie. Well, you gotta, I mean, regardless of the, 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 the lo-fi, low-tech going on, and regardless of the script and the acting, you've got essentially a, an African-American guy in 1975 making a movie with his own money, for the most part, or money he's gotten through record sales. Uh, so he's making a true independent film and nobody wants it, and he pushes it to the point where they do. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big step for for any filmmaker, let alone one that's you know African American in the seventies, to get that done. So for sure. I give him a lot of credit. It was also a time before anybody understood what the fuck a cult following was in in media. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All anybody knew was like you release a movie to the general public and the general public sees it and then, you know, they either love it or they hate it. And there's no such thing as like, you know, an underground uprising of people that have been, you know, loving something for so long. Well, they had to have been like, we're showing this movie at one in the morning. Where are all these people coming from? Yeah, we're almost getting ahead of ourselves and talking about the second half. Because really, that's a, a dramatization of the making of this. So... I just want to put a call out to probably the best fight scenes I've ever seen in my life. I have not <laughs> fight choreography like that since the the three way uh, lightsaber fight during the prequels. That was, oh, it was yeah those those quote unquote kicks. <laughs> yeah, 
I, I, my experience watching this movie is like, at first I was extremely confused. Then I got bored for a while and kind of tuned out. But then like somewhere in the middle, I was strangely fascinated. Like I, I couldn't stop watching and I was actually getting into it. Somewhere around the time it just randomly turned into this vaudeville. First there's a dancer and then there's a singer and then there's a comedian and then there's a huge fight scene. <laughs> I'm just like, what the hell is going on? It was it was like it was like a fourteen year old kid stream of consciousness almost. It was well, weird. Well, by the end, I was entertained. Ugh. Even though it was dull in in the middle, I, I actually like walked out of this like even before I got context from the second half, I, I was gi- willing to give this a qualified thumbs up. Spoiler, I never got to that point. Spoiler, I definitely was on on board with the. I'm confused. I'm bored. But I never really got into the I'm entertained portion. I don't know. There's something charismatic about him and the hamburger pimp for whatever reason that I just I'm I'm curious to see what's going to happen next, even though there's a lot of odd jump cuts and edits and sound problems. And there's a boom mic in one of the edits where where there shouldn't have been no edits where there should have been. Like, did we really need to watch them walk to the car, get in the car, drive down the alley, park the car, get out of the car? I'm like, but then do we you need this whole shot? You would not have known that the car was well hidden and that that wino in the other yard was watching the car for him. <laughs> did we need to know? I I was concerned. The this entire, movie should have been 40 minutes long. The tension in this movie the whole time. I'm like, is the reverend, is he with Dolomite? Is he not with Dolomite? <laughs> I don't know. How did he put that big fat lady in that little bitty closet? I don't know. So, uh, I did like the Reverend's character as well. And Kathy Lewis, Josh, is actually the owner of the Snake Pit, uh, the dance place with the with um and Blade Runner. Oh, where she has the actual real snake, not a clone. That's all. Well, that mystery is solved. <laughs> all right. Well, I can sleep. I can sleep tonight. That's called. I'm done. I don't need to contribute anymore. I don't know. There, there's something strangely entertaining about it. And if nothing else, just the clothes alone, especially his suits. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the wardrobe is fine. Are amazing. The costumes are great. The sets are great and the props are great. And the music is amazing throughout. I didn't like the music as much. Did you, you guys notice James Ingram? No. He was one of the band. That's awesome. I didn't notice it. Yep. But, I mean, I, I mean, I think the reason that they had the the stuff in the middle which the first time I saw any of these movies was with Dennis and we were doing the same thing. You guys were, I was like, what the hell? But, you know, I watched a, an hour long documentary about him and, you know, everybody knew the record. So I think he was just trying to throw in some of his, his bits. Cause he, he started out initially when he was, when he was a kid as a, a dancer and he did like tribal dances and that's how he got his start. So I think that's why he threw that in there. And then of course the stand up thing was, his whole routine. So, you know, people were coming to see Dolomite. He was going to give him Dolomite. Holy Motherfucker. I pipe that actor. He's, he has a degree in theater from UCLA. So good job, UCLA. Wait, which guy? The, the, the mayor. Really? I mean, that makes sense. If uh, Jerry Jones was a uh, acting teacher at UCLA, wasn't it? Oh yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, that was a pretty big plot point when we come to the second half. Okay. Yeah, I guess he was he was pulling from 
his resources. So that, that would make sense. I mean, when you look at it compared to like, you know, we, we talked about Shaft. We did the Shaft show. If, if you've seen Superfly or you've seen like Kung Fu Jones or, um, you know, any of the other black exploitation films, Black Yellow especially, you know, there's ones that are far better than this. But this was made by him for his audience. And those other movies were, as far as I know, you know, made by studios for the masses. And, you know, for, for somebody as his first time out, I think he did pretty, pretty damn good, all things considered. And I, I don't know. See, I can separate entertaining from good. I don't think there's anything good about this movie. They obviously <laughs> didn't know how to make a movie. They didn't know how to act. They didn't know how to do Kung Fu. But I was still entertained, despite the fact that it's a complete fucking mess. That was some of the best Kung Fu I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I had to teach myself Kung Fu. The all Kung Fu team was probably my the, the highlight of, the, of this for me. Especially the one with the razor who, like, knocks the guy down and then slits his throat. Or cut his penis off. I wasn't sure what happened there. Well, when Laura and I were watching it, we kept looking for the hits when they would when they would miss, or they would be you know three or four inches away from the face because they you were mean all of them. There were some of them looked pretty good. Some looked like they connected. Yeah, those were the ones that probably did connect. But for the most part, yeah, they were <laughs> they they were pretty they were pretty bad. And I gotta say, I gotta give props to the detective, one of the detectives, not the guy with not the blonde guy, but the other guy. He actually was was fairly charismatic and kind of entertaining to watch. He played a good kind of bad cop. I I didn't find anything entertaining about this movie. I mean, I mean, I I can appreciate it for its place in cinema history, and that's really just about it. I didn't. I don't. I'm not of the opinion that you know just because you make something that automatically gives it virtue. I mean, something needs to be good. Just just being just existing isn't isn't a reason for something to exist. I don't know. It was hot nonsense, but like it kind of came together in this, like it was true to itself at least. I mean, it had some funny moments. Yeah. And it was, it was definitely very uh, non-pretentious. And like you said, true to itself and all that kind of stuff. But I mean, I don't really, I didn't really find it all that, you know, entertaining. I mean, it, it was, it was kind of. Not as groundbreaking as some people have described. it. I would say it's groundbreaking more than entertaining. Definitely, actually, that that's a word I would. It would because I mean it showed that you know a common man can make his own movie if you don't want to if you don't give a shit about quality. You know. <laughs> well, and I, I think he was doing the best he could, and well, yeah, like I obviously, said, they... obviously, I mean, he didn't just you know decide he was going to make a shitty movie. It just you know it happened. Well, like I said, I th- I think there's far better examples of the genre, but when when you put it in the context that we'll talk more about in the second half. I, I think it stands out on that, on that alone, but I, I still find it entertaining. Otherwise I would have bought it. You know, it's, it's something that every once in a while I'm like, okay, I just want to check out and watch something kind of goofy and weird. And it's, it's a lot of those things. It's both of those things. But I have many, I have many, many other things I wouldn't, I would definitely turn to before I would ever turn to this again. Such as what? I will go the rest of my life without watching this. I would rather watch Kung Pao Enter the Fist, which is goofier than this in a Not much good. better way. Oh, I hated that movie. Huh. See, I would probably watch this again before Kung Pao. 
Yeah, see, I, I, I'm of the different opinion on that. Yeah, I guess something I said to you guys that I, I want to make sure I say to any of the listeners is my, my main reaction to this is that this was the David S. Pumpkins of black exploitation. <laughs> well, we just got to the end. It's like I, I have several questions. How <laughs> <laughs> it seems like every room had a villain box, like the monster closets in video games. <laughs> Like suddenly, guys show up with guns and start shooting it up. Like if you if you make out with a lady, that increases your health points. Well, and I wouldn't call it making out because motherfucker, he, <laughs> he looked like he was kissing his aunt that had a hairy lip. <laughs> there was there was nothing sexy about the sex scene. <laughs> um, and a lot of very unattractive people, but it was the seventies. You can't blame it all on the seventies. Well, what was her name? Pinky. She was she was alright. His number one bitch. I thought Chi-town? that was. I thought that was Chai. No, no, no. The one that left when he went to prison. Remember, picked him up in the Corvette. The one that's killed by the mayor. Oh. Yeah. What What was her name? Pinky, wasn't it? I think that was her nickname. Yeah, she had another name too that I can't remember. Yeah, she was cute. The rest of them, yeah. Uh, the girl who got busted for stealing and got thrown out of the whorehouse was pretty cute. Yeah, okay. I, there yeah, yeah, that was the that was the one that really just made me go, yeah, this movie's weird. No, they're all weird, Mike. <laughs> I don't know. I was just like, "Oh man, oh man, somebody stole, somebody stole. There's going to be infighting here. Now we're not going to know who to trust because some people can go mad and go to Willie. No, no, no. Nope, like, just fire her, get her out of there. Move on." Yeah. <laughs> And I'm wondering how many times some Mike, the HR guy, is going, oh, this, this movie's getting interesting now. <laughs> She's got to go down to HR, fill out some paperwork. Yeah, man, that's what I like. Fill out that interview kit, bitch. Go on. <laughs> and we're going to have a totally different scene where the junkie's going to get assassinated for, oh, nope, he's dead. <laughs> well, and I wonder how many business deals are done where you slap 50 grand on the table and the guy's like, okay, and he walks away from the business. <laughs> my, Just my gives favorite- it up. My favorite part, real quick, of that junkie interrogation scene is he waits until he shoots up before he starts yes. asking him any questions. Like maybe question him before he puts the needle in. Like right, instead Once of got... beating him up for being high after watching <laughs> him get high. Once he starts nodding, it's over. Yeah, his, his yeah his timing was all off on a lot of things. Or when he um when the guy when the guy starts shooting up, what the hell was I just talking about? I just lost it. I'm trying. I'm see the thing is I'm trying to put a connection of logic between all the scenes that I saw and it's not work. I think my brain is like rejecting the whole, it would, it would help more if you just thought of it as like a series of vignettes that were loosely tied together. Yeah. Cause the, the, the basic plot of this, of the movie doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it is really just a, a sequence of events that loosely ties together. And whitey is the devil. That's part of what you need to Ooh, remember. I all like the white. when he started slapping around the cops in front of the, uh, the goodwill drop off. That was a good scene. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, I'm like, well, there's not going to be no repercussions for just beating the shit out of some FBI agents, I'm sure. Or, okay, what about the the last scene when the cops come back to kill him in the hospital? Which, I have to say, was incredibly well-planned because they waited for the FBI guy to leave the room and then show up. And hopefully that one guy's pants would stun Dolomite. <laughs> when he wouldn't be able to re- do, defend himself because they look like they're inside out. They're inside out and all the pockets were bright red. Right, yeah, those pants were very... Odd. Fashionable? Question mark. 
there's also a big confusion as to like what the difference between a police officer, a warden, and an FBI agent actually is. <laughs> They're just titles. You can do whatever you want. Captain, doctor. They, they all pretty much, they do the same thing. They're interchangeable, yeah. Can a warden just be like, hey, you know what? I think you might be innocent. I'm going to let you go to go prove it. Yeah, go, go mount your own defense. Yeah. Right? Captain, doctor. <laughs> Captain, doctor, banana. And the first thing he does to prove himself innocent of uh, stealing is to commit a bunch of murders. <laughs> and he kills three people to in broad daylight. And then one one just completely, there's just no outright defense at all. It's just outright murder. The man's just standing there defenseless, and you just shot him down. Oh, the dancing guy? Yeah. 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 And then, well, and then what's-her-face, one of the girls go, goes over and, like, slits his throat again. <laughs> Yeah, like, they, and they try to arrest him. You got nothing on me. What? <laughs> well, and I like how he gets out of prison, changes out of his prison garb, puts on his fancy suit, gets in the car, and immediately takes the fancy suit off again. Yeah, I was wondering. I was wondering why they didn't just. You know, it would have been cooler if he took the clothes off, got in when just his boxers, and then later they start making. They start making out, and then later he gets out and he's wearing a whole new suit. I think that would have been better. Would have made more sense. Yeah. Yeah. That was about the time during that that uh, limo scene when he's in the back seat and I'm watching it with Suzanne. She's like, "What's going on?" <laughs> would it would it look like she was about to just start blowing in? Yeah. Well, not a hundred percent sure that's not what was going on. But at that point, <laughs> I was like, "What are we watching? Are we?" And she's like, "Are we watching porn? What's what is?" <laughs> and Mike's just like, "Shh!" shh, shh as you grab her head, this is plot. This is my fetish: ugly seventies porn. <laughs> Not even sexy 70s porn, just ugly 70s porn. Very, very sweaty and lumpy porn. <laughs> ew. Accurate, but ew. <laughs> I like it with a little comedy, some murder. Yes. Mayor penis. Ew. <laughs> Is he related to Captain Banana? <laughs> they are, they're cousins. Uh, <laughs> Mayor oh, penis. Jesus. It's hard to get elected. Uh, can't get nepotism out of politics Mayor Venus <laughs> elected Captain Banana you got Willie Green's plan I'm not exactly sure what his end game was because he just kind of went around and talked to people until he was insulted and then he pulled a gun and rushed Dolomite <laughs> give me the gun give me the gun and then all hell breaks out as he's chasing Dolomite with his little pistol and then Dolomite turns off the light which was a good ploy you know he could hide in the shadow <laughs> to, to jump him no, I'm not sure I saw this. Did or did or did not um, Queen Bee get shot at the end? She got shot. She did? Yeah. Oh, now I'm sad. Yeah, she got shot. Because I didn't remember that part either. But yes, he, she's over, I think she's on the stage or near the stage. And she gets she falls down after the gunfire. We don't see the bullet hit, but it was implied. Yeah, it's, it's, it's assumed she's dead, but it's not necessarily. She's still alive for sequels. If you, Oh, good. I was worried. I'm just like, you can't have Dolomite without Queen Bee. I mean, how are they going to continue this story? Was she in any of the sequels? That is a good question. I am not 100% sure of. I know the actress was in the rest of his movies. Like, basically, this core crew came back for uh, most of the movies aside from uh, Durville. Which, he came back for Human Tornado, but Lady Reed, let me see if she was in. He's He's like, I want nothing to do with anything Dolomite. Yeah, she played Queen Bee in Human Tornado. So All right. I've seen that one, but it's so been a she while. survived. 
Another mystery solved. Good to know. Next mystery. Chicks are always sexier with bullet scars. Yeah, she was in all four of his movies. And then uh, she was not in... I don't know when she. I don't know if she passed away or something. A fifth movie. She did pass away, but I. She wasn't in um, the 2002 Dolomite Dolomite Explosion. But I don't see here where it says that she passed away. I know she's passed away because in the documentary I watched, she talked about her being dead. Hmm. That's sad. Lady Reed. I'm going down a rabbit hole here. Bye bye. Somebody talk. I mean, the human tornado had Ernie Hudson in it. I, yeah, it did, actually. Dolomite. Dolomite. I've pretty much said about as much as I want to say about Dolomite. Yeah, I mean, aside from the fact that it's, yeah, it, it is definitely a thing that happened. I'm not horribly happy I had to watch this movie. Aww. I I, I was glad I saw it. Uh, I, I would not have been as glad if we had not uh, watched Dolomite is my name. So I, I'm probably more eager to talk about the second half for this. As a, a little behind the scenes action for you listeners, I was angling for an all Eddie Murphy show. So I'm happy with the, seeing the, my name is Dolomite. I just am mad I just see the original Dolomite. <laughs> I think we will do an Eddie Murphy show at some point. Cause there's a lot of content there. I personally would like to talk about. Um, but I, But I will say that, Watching, this is a good bridge into the second half of the show. Watching My Name is Dolomite definitely made me appreciate the original Dolomite more. Not enough to want to watch it again, but it made me appreciate it more. All right, so are we ready to go to break and then come back and actually talk about what we're chomping at the bit to talk about? Yes, we should do that. When we come back, My Name is Dolomite. Dolomite Dolomite is my name. Dolomite is my name. And fucking motherfuckers up is my game. We're out. Dolomite. He's one bad mother. No, that's Shaft. Oh, yeah. My mistake. They're both motherfuckers, but in different ways. year on Netflix, Eddie Murphy decided that he was going to portray Rudy Ray Moore in a, uh, is it a biopic? Could you call it a biopic? Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the uh, Rudy Ray Moore story. Uh, Dolomite is my name. Just came out a couple weeks ago on Netflix. Eddie Murphy portrays real life legend Rudy Ray Moore in a comedy and rap pioneer who proved a naysayers wrong when his hilarious, obscene, kung fu fighting alter ego Dolomite became a 1970s blaxploitation phenomenon. So this is directed by Craig Brewer, uh, who has done such stuff as Black Snake Moan, Hustle and Flow, and uh, some Empire episodes, 10 episodes of Empire, Urban Cowboy 2016, the 2011 Footloose, which we did. Go back, check out our Footloose episode. And Damn. Yeah, he's got a lot of good stuff. He's done a lot of stuff we've covered. And mm. mention the most recent one. Uh, I am Dolomite. 
No, after that, the post-production. Uh, for director? Yep. Oh, coming. Oh, he's he's directing coming coming to America part two. Yay! Yeah. Wow. I'm excited for that one. Yeah, that is definitely on the list. I mean, that's the thing about I. I don't want to say about this. I don't want to pat myself on the back, but the genius of our show is eventually they're going to remake everything. <laughs> eventually, we're going to remake this show. Yes. All right. So, uh, direct. Maybe eighty going on forty going on fourteen. Ooh. Dwayne the Rock Johnson will play me. <laughs> so this is written by Scott Alexander, uh, a one Scott Alexander who has also written stuff from American Crime Story, The People versus Larry Flint, and Ready Joel, Ed Wood. Nice. Yeah, he was a writer on that, and also Larry Kowazeski, People versus Larry Flint, American Crime Story, and Ed Wood. So, I mean, this is kind of a Ed Wood sort of story. It is. It really is. Uh, this stars Eddie Murphy as Rudy Ray Moore, Keegan-Michael Key as Jerry, Mike Epps as Jimmy. I didn't recognize Mike Epps. Really? Not, I mean, I'm, re- I'm recognizing him from the Resident Evil movies. Yes. So, uh, Craig Robinson as Ben, Titus Burgess as Tony, Divine Joy Randolph as Lady Reed, uh, who would eventually become Queen Bee. Uh, Titus Burgess, uh, you know him from The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Indeed. Yes. And Divine Joy Randolph. Uh, she is also on something called, she was on Office Christmas Party, which is a movie that I forgot that I wanted to see, and something called People of Earth. And this. Uh, Cody Smith McPhee, who plays Nick, the camera guy. Did you, any of you guys recognize him? Oh, yeah. What do you got, Joel? Uh, he was in Let Me In is the, the thing that jumps out of me. The remake of Let the Right One In. Mm-hmm. He also plays Nightcrawler in X-Men Apocalypse. Yep, he's in the he's in the younger Nightcrawler for Alan Cumming. He also does a voice of uh, Norman in Paranorman, the animated movie. And if you ever saw The Road with Viggo Mortensen, that uplifting family film, he plays the little boy in that. Holy shit. Oh. That's in my categories of movies that you should see at least once. And then never again. Yeah. Cormac McCarthy at his darkest. Oh, it's like the road American history X. 50, <laughs> 50. Yeah. And that's not Cormac McCarthy's darkest. No, no, but it's, it's definitely not an uplifting family film. No, it's definitely not a post-apocalyptic action fest as I thought it was supposed to be, but no, you're looking for world war Z. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, shut up. <laughs> Definitely read Blood Meridian and then tell me about Cormac McCarthy. <laughs> uh, Snoop Dogg is Raj the DJ. Ron Cephas Jones as Rico. I freaking love Ron Cephas Jones. He's a great character actor. Yeah. Loved him on Mr. Robot. Uh, he, he was also in Luke Cage. Mm-hmm. Netflix show. Uh, most recently, he's been in This Is Us and something called Truth Be Told that is in post-production. Uh, so, T.I. as Walter Crane as Tip T.I. Harris. Does anybody know who T.I. is? Yeah, he's, he's a, a rapper. rapper. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't know. I remember him as Dave. <laughs> from Shut Ant- up. No, in Ant-Man. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, all right. So, uh, and... Wesley Snipes, looking like he got stung by a bee. 
as Darvell Martin. He was on point, though. He really was. The thing is, like a couple days ago, I watched one of the one of the Blade movies, and I was, <laughs> and I was seeing. I'm like, wow, you're like seventy something. Yeah, and it's crazy uh, listening to people talk about how this movie was actually made. It looks like Wesley Snipes is overacting. If anything, he was dialing it back because the reality of how Dervil Martin was on this set was too unbelievable. Right. Wesley Snipes is 57. Passenger 57. Always been on black. And uh, Chris Rock is DJ Bobby Vale. So, some trivia. Eddie Murphy, who is 58 years old, plays the role of Rudy Ray Moore, who was 47 when Dolomite was filmed. Yes! <laughs> this gives me hope. <laughs> what, that you're going to make Dolomite? I am for, hey, being a 47-year-old who's sitting in his basement making a podcast, it gives me hope. You two can make lumpy, sweaty porn. <laughs> yes! I've got one part of it down. I've got lumps. I'm sorry, I take that back. Wesley Snipes is not 70. Wesley Wesley Snipes is 57, and he plays the role of Dravel Martin, who was 35 when he directed and acted in the film. So there's some range. Uh, when Jerry Jones and Rudy Ray Moore are starting to write the script for Dolomite, Moore starts running down a laundry list of what he wants to put in the film, which I think, honestly, is one of the scenes that made me laugh the most. Uh, when Jones gets exasperated and questions the exorcism scene, Moore realizes that he has gone too far with his ideas and suggests putting the devil in another movie. And this is an inside reference to a future Rudy Ray Moore film, Petey Wheatstraw. The devil's son-in-law. Mm-hmm. So that that whole scene where they're bouncing script ideas back and forth to each other was hilarious. Oh, yeah. Keegan-Michael Key's just a genius. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I legitimately love that man. Yeah, this world is uh, done nothing to deserve Key or Jordan Peele. Yeah, I, honestly, it almost seemed like he was um, he was channeling the uh, high school teacher from that one sketch. <laughs> hey, Ron. Yeah, it, it, you listen to the way he was doing his voice; it sounded like he was doing that teacher. Um, so, as Rico enters Dolphin's record store, he recites, "I was born in a barrel of butcher knives, shot in the ass with two Colt forty fives." That monologue is the basis for Rudy Ray Moore's duet with rapper Big Daddy Kane on the track Big Daddy vs. Dolomite, as featured in Kane's 1990s album Taste of Chocolate. So, falling back more on the Rudy Ray Moore being the grandfather of rap. Because that was one of the things that I texted you guys when he started doing that whole thing about the Titanic. I got really confused in the first movie. Yeah. But by the end of it, I mean... Freestyling about the Titanic, huh? Yeah, that was kind of. I was like, is that a thing that people did in the seventies? Shine in the Titanic. That's a. That's one that of the things. Fresh take. Well, I, I, I mean, I didn't. I had not known Rudy Ray Moore outside of the Dolomite, Dolomite films, so I had never seen his stand up. I had never seen his uh, rap and rhymes and sort of things. So yeah, same here. Yeah, he's the king of the party records. Yeah, I was kind of familiar with like him as a name, like him and Mom's Mabley, but I hadn't actually listened to any of his stand up. So now I'm. A, this is definitely the first viewing for all of us. Honestly, I'm really curious to find out what the rest of you guys think about this. I did not know there was this much history behind Dolomite outside of it was a rough coming to make this movie. 
Yeah, I mean, as I alluded to in the original, I was already kind of uh, intrigued and entertained by Dolomite before seeing this. And just getting the context for everything we saw on screen, for me, retroactively enhanced then. Like, I was already kind of on board, but this this got me the rest of the way. I would definitely agree that it, it helped enhance because I was clearly not a fan of the first one. And... Even though it, it's, it doesn't really do anything to, like, give it any validation necessarily, it definitely does make it more entertaining to see what happened behind the scenes. That seems to be the case, though, with these kinds of movies, like Tim Burton's Ed Wood. You know, they're talking about Plan 9 of Outer Space, which people consider to be one of the worst films of all time. And you watch the making of, even though it's very stylized, like this was, it gives you a little bit more appreciation for what they went through. And kind of the next time you watch a movie, you kind of get that same kind of like oh okay so that was the writer that was the you know sound guy that was etc and it, it made me appreciate it more because i watched this first and then watched i'm not yeah. at all surprised that you went to the ed wood reference because i was definitely thinking that at some points but i will take umbrage with the fact that you said some people consider it the worst movie shut up it is the worst movie like ever made <laughs> yeah. have you seen birdemic uh, I mean, no, I'm talking about like Starcraft. the worst movie that's not like purposely made to be bad. Like, I don't think it's I... even the worst movie Ed Wood ever made. <laughs> He's not but wrong. It... That'd probably be Orgy of the Damned. What about Orgy the one the where he was, was the... worse? What about the crossdresser one? Oh, Glenn or Glenda has some fun yeah. parts to it. Uh, I honestly, I've never seen an Ed Wood movie. I'm, this is all going on pure speculation as to how much I know I would hate it. <laughs> yeah, future show. <laughs> oh, yes. You shut your face. Yes. Think Patrick knows he'll hate. Bird. <laughs> seeing seeing how Dolomite was made as just these guys that clearly didn't know how to make a movie, but were all friends and just wanted to see something that was not just a bit of themselves, but something that they would want to see on the screen. And like, it makes sense. Like, and I found myself rooting for them before the end of it. They just wanted to see their faces along with some ass and some titties and some and some kung fu. Who doesn't? Don't we all? I mean, what, yeah. What's wrong with that? Those are the universal needs, I think. <laughs> especially, especially if you're in the Wu Tang Clan. Hey, Wu Tang Clan ain't getting to fuck with. I know I dragged Eddie Murphy uh, in the couch gag at the beginning, but like for real, his performance in this uh, uh, really hit me. In a couple, in one scene in particular that I remember is when he's sitting in front of the studio and he's pitching the movie and uh, they say, well, you're a little more doughy than the typical <laughs> action hero. And you could just see like the pain on his face. He he doesn't say anything. It's, it's this sad moment that shows you a little bit of who Rudy Ray Moore was. And And Eddie Murphy himself, just he's become such a good, like dramatic actor. His, as his comedy has kind of fallen off a little bit, you know, in the eyes of most people, his dramatic acting has definitely risen. I mean, he had the same type of scene in the movie uh, Dreamgirls. When... Yeah, that'd probably be the last one before this that I remember actually enjoying him for him, not just being a wacky voice. Yeah, exactly. And he was so good in Dreamgirls. That, that scene when he plays the his version of like the Marvin Gaye song, protest song, you know, and and the the Barry Gordy character basically just says, uh, "Yeah, stick to what we hired you for." And you know that whole scene, you know, just I mean, without another one where he, without saying a word, just you know, shows you just how how much that that kicked him in the you know in the soul. 
the doughy doughy soul. <laughs> well, it was definitely but, a return to form for him, which was nice, you know, because he's kind of like I said, he kind of fell off the radar a bit. And I could see this kind of jumpstarting his career if he makes some smart choices. Yeah, this could be the comeback movie that he hoped Mr. Church would be before yeah. everyone realized it was painfully derivative and not very good. Maybe he'll join Adam Sandler as one of the Netflix. Okay, I'm taking that back. I'm sorry, Eddie Murphy. I didn't mean that. <laughs> like, who knows? It may be prophecy with uh, Adam Sandler's Uncut Gems coming out pretty soon, too. Yeah, that's getting a lot of buzz. A lot yeah. of buzz. Yeah. I mean, the, the streaming services are no longer a joke. No, no. They're, they're, kind of, they're kind of taking over the entertainment world. In fact, it's kind of weird. The uh, thing about Netflix buying that actual theater. Did you see that? I haven't heard this, no. Oh, they Netflix bought an actual theater and is planning to show their movies at it because they have their their individually produced movies that no other theaters are showing. So they're like, well, screw it. We'll do it like we have been doing. We're going to get our own theater and we're going to show our own movies. With Blackjack and Hookers. Blackjack. <laughs> Damn it, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I knew I was uh, going to like this movie much more than I liked the first movie when they were showing the scene... Of of him kicking the guy's asses and throwing him in the trunk and everything and and and, Wes, and Wesley Snipes is just like, he stands up and he walks out and he's just like whatever cut whatever I don't I don't know who this fat motherfucker thinks he is <laughs> the, the the whole thing with him being like do do we need to do another cut no that's as good as it's gonna get <laughs> bunch of rat soup eating motherfuckers and his belief that he could just pick up kung fu good enough for the movie which was clearly incorrect and his little spinning kicks with his <laughs> i remember watching the first one with suzanne and i said this earlier when she said did he just literally just like the guy literally rolled himself into the trunk what the hell <laughs> but you know what that kind of i think if you're going to watch dolomite movies now that i am dolomite is out you need to watch this first and then watch the Dolomite movie. I see. I, I I disagree with that because I don't think I don't think you should have to watch something to make something else good. Something should stand maybe to explain something else or to like give backstory or whatever prequel sequel blah blah blah. But like you shouldn't have to have a separate movie just to make another movie tolerable. I don't know. I it's not so much making it tolerable, but any I love entertainment documentaries like pop culture documentaries that's one of my things anytime i watch something uh, either making of or you know one of the netflix things or something like this i go back and i rewatch the movie and i pick up on things that i didn't catch before or i know the backstory behind it and it makes me appreciate kind of what went into it a little more so you watch the movie then you watch the documentary and then you watch the movie again and then you know the, well not necessarily right away but the next time i go back to watch it i'm like oh yeah i remember when i watched the Where thing about it all this time <laughs> I was just going to say that I'd, I'd rather just watch three movies. Well, I, I don't know. I think it can also restore context that you might be missing if you weren't there the first time around, which clearly none of us were. But right. I don't think this is necessarily a movie that deserves context. I would r much rather have watched My Name is Dolomite and never have seen the Dolomite movie itself. And just been like, hey, this movie looks like it would have been goofy, but whatever. I don't need to watch it. I watched the making of and it was better and. But you didn't. You wouldn't have any curiosity about what was that really like in the movie because you know they take creative license because they have to make it entertaining. Well, and right. they, but they they also toss in. I mean, 
when I was watching I Am Dolomite and I'm sitting here watching the, the episode or the scene where he jumps out the window after the husband comes in and I'm yeah there were a couple of those there's a few scenes and the car exploding is actually from another uh yeah human, human tornado, tornado. And, yeah. and the big the big sex scene with the ceiling falling down and everything yeah. and that's the thing it's like I'm watching that going man Dolomite must have put me to sleep because I do not remember a ceiling falling down on a sex scene. Yeah. Well, and these were instant cult classics. Like you hear about movies that like years after they came out became smash hits when they hit video or whatever. This wacky, absurd movie that is obviously not very good. Like it was a huge unexpected hit when it landed. So, I mean, that's something. So I, I'm glad that's at least my name is Dolomite got me to go back and see it, even though I thought I had. And there's no denying that it is part of pop culture. Definitely part of black culture. I mean, it's, it's referenced constantly, you know, by, by people still to this day. I mean, it's, I'm not going to take away from its, you know, place in cinema history, in, in, in civil rights history, in pop culture history, but I am going to take away from it being good it's just it's objectively just not good well i i agree with you there there are things that are significant but not movies are significant but not entertaining citizen kane yeah what what citizen okay. kane yeah i i get where you're going <clears throat> citizen kane is not as entertaining a movie as it is an important of a movie i agree with you and this was not important. It was terrible and ridiculous, but to me at least it was entertaining. I would agree. It's not going to be anywhere near as high on my list as Citizen Kane, but I might have had more fun watching it. I can I can give you that. And it is a lot of fun. And I'm just the opposite. I didn't I did not have fun watching it. I I just didn't enjoy it. I I understand it and I get what it was, you know, what it represents and all that kind of stuff, but I just it just wasn't my cup of tea, but as is often the case in many of our things we watch, I'm not exactly the target audience. What? <laughs> you mean in 1974? Yeah, yeah. I was, I was, wasn't a 30-year-old white guy? Yeah, I wasn't a middle-aged black man in 1978. <laughs> you lied to me. <laughs> I gotta change my resume. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, one of my favorite scenes in this was... Uh, you know the the whole movie being a, a black exploitation film, and they're talking about you know damn whitey and all this stuff. Uh, the the scene where they have I think it's a rap party where they're all drinking, they're having a good time, they're out in the street, and there's just just big mixture of races and and genders, and everybody's just having a good time, and they're all there for one purpose to make the movie, and it brings them all together, and it creates this little family, and that part just you know was something you wouldn't have seen on the other side of the the lens, you know, being the audience. And it was kind of nice to to see that aspect of it, to know that there was kind of this camaraderie that, that created the film. And that's again, another reason why I like, I like the movie, you know, the real one. They clearly would not have been made if they hadn't been friends because a lot of people either didn't get paid or got paid very little. So. Yeah. I was going to say, I like, I'll say the heart of it type of thing, but like when they're, when the guys come in, with the lights and they're like, there is no electricity in this building. And he's like, yeah, just get up on the roof. There's a box up there. You can get a, you can get the electricity going. And then like you, they have enough going on in between that statement to that. You completely forget that they're upstairs. Somebody is upstairs working on the box until the explosion happens. 
I almost feel a kinship with that whole let's 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 make a show. All right, fuck it, let's make a movie. Forty going on. Patrick as Lady Reed. <laughs> Dude, I'd watch that. Josh is yeah, wait, should, should, wouldn't it be Lady Weed? Uh, oh no. I mean yes, but no. Queen B minus. <laughs> <laughs> Queen B cup. All, all of these are true. I think uh, we've lost momentum. <laughs> but my take is uh even though my name is Dolomite made Dolomite itself better, I still don't think it made it necessary. I can fo- I can go with that. I feel like it was a passion project for everybody involved, both the original and this the Dolomite is my name. And I I enjoy both of them. And I think what kind of dials it in for me is that one of the reasons I found the original entertaining is by halfway through the movie, I'm just like, what the hell is this? How did this get made? And the documentary, it kind of answers that question. It's like, how, how did this film ever even happen? Because anybody who would make logical decisions was not involved with it. And like I've said in other podcasts about other crap, I'm like, art being made for for its own sake doesn't necessarily give it gravitas or you know it just just because you made something that doesn't give it merit it still needs to be decent and good it doesn't matter how much of your own sweat and heart and blood and tears you poured into it if it sucks it doesn't deserve to be seen i'm just trying i'm just wondering what patrick knows about decent and good <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure I agree with that. I, I mean, I get what you're saying, that just because it made it in front of eyes doesn't automatically grant it importance. But I don't think importance or gravitas is what Dolomite was about. I mean, it was about entertainment. He was, he, you keep hearing in the documentary, it's like a complete entertainment experience. And you know what? As goofy and as uneven and as, like you say, objectively bad as it was, I was entertained. I had the complete entertainment experience by the end of it. I'm like, and some of it was just like, I, I don't know, sheer being baffled. <laughs> like, what? I'm with you on this one, Josh. Okay, Patrick, I'm sorry. I'm taking some away. From <laughs> yeah, you're, you're flip-flopping. Yeah, I'm flip-flopping. Get laid Leave the boy in the well. well. I have to agree with Josh on this because there were several times in watching the original Dolomite and in this one where it's just like, I don't, I, I agree with you. How did this get made? What got greenlit? Like when they're fight, when they're shooting on the guy, they're fight, uh, gunning down the guy on the side of the road. How did they? How did this happen? How did this? You know, a lot of it has to do with you can just kind of toss it in the box. It just says the seventies, but I I don't know. It it has heart. I hate to say, but it does. It's fun. It's a bunch of people going out to make a movie because they want to make a movie, and then suddenly dance number. And yeah. then a fight, and then a weird rap scene, and some kind of really confusing kung fu. Yeah, I don't know. it's very vaudeville, especially in the middle. If if somebody takes their time and to put their heart and soul into a project, it deserves to at least be seen by somebody. And you're that person. Well, I'm just saying. You know, it almost sounds like, and I don't think this is Pat what Pat's saying, but that if it's not good, that they should just toss it in the trash and it never you know needs to be seen again but it's when kind I worked... of what i'm saying it's, it's not it's, it's not not what i'm saying 
I mean, when it I, was obviously good for somebody. Like you admit you're not the audience, but the amount of money it made clearly yeah, yeah, demonstrates and, and, that that audience existed. And Dolomite clearly is not the extreme of what I'm talking about. Like, I mean, just because somebody makes a TikTok video or somebody makes a YouTube video or whatever doesn't mean that it, you know, it needs to be seen by people. No, but that doesn't take any effort. This I'm talking about something where somebody has taken the time to, you know, write a script, get a crew. And having been in film school, it's a pain in the ass to get people together to make a movie, especially if they're not getting okay, anything yeah, out of the, it. But the, but the onus is on them to make something watchable. It's not on the audience to watch it regardless of what they make. No, but you should still at least, if somebody says, hey, I want to show you what I did, at least give them the courtesy of, of watching it. And But no, it's, it's it's rude by the artist to make something unwatchable and expect you to watch it. But if they don't know any better and they're just putting their, their best out well, there. Well, then learn. Stop, stop sucking and learn. Or, <laughs> I, mean, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to tell you. I, you I know, I mean, this is great. I love this. <laughs> they have heart. They're creating it. Well, maybe they should stop sucking and people would watch it. Maybe people should watch it just so they would stop sucking. <laughs> you got your peanut butter in my chocolate. <laughs> I'm done. I had a point. Now I lost Art doesn't just deserve to exist because it's art it still needs to be interesting or good or make a statement or do serve some kind of purpose just existing doesn't give art validation but art is subjective what i find artistic and True, having merit and if, no, and if no one in the world finds something good then it, then it's guess what it's not good and it shouldn't have been made well when i worked at the video store I came up with a theory, having seen all the different people that came in to get all the different types of movies, that for every movie that's made, there there was somebody out there that it was their favorite film. Granted, that's a really broad stroke that is not accurate, but at the same time, when so you, get this, you get somebody that comes <laughs> in to get Under Siege 2 every week, week after week, instead of just buying it, just keeps renting it because they love it, you know, does that make it? something that has merit or that's good no No, but it makes it somebody that doesn't understand how to use their money but somebody likes the movie and somebody enjoys it and they get something out of it this conversation happening on the dolomite show (laughs) (laughs) because pat's wrong and i'm just trying i'm not wrong i'm not wrong i mean i don't think Pat's necessarily wrong in this case but i'm not sure that those pieces of art that nobody finds value in are even like it's like saying okay yeah water's wet the sun is hot like yeah there are going to be things that have no value and those things with no value never come across our attention at all right and that's the way it should be but i i don't i don't think that regardless of if we're not the target audience if it comes across our view point there's a good chance that there was a target audience even if it's not us that's clearly the case for dolomite i mean there's weird stuff like andy warhol eating a hamburger like you could say okay this this is bad art but like it hit for a lot of people or yoko ono doing anything like i don't like yoko ono but enough people did that like her art has some value to somebody exactly or is it just a bunch of people that said they liked it and nobody wants to pony up that she sucks? I mean, there's got to be somebody out there that likes Yoko Ono. I mean, I haven't met John them. But... Look where it got him. <laughs> I don't think even he liked her stuff. He's just like, yeah, whatever. That's my wife's stuff. I get it. Listen to it. Yeah, for sure there are YouTube channels that pretty much only like some kid's mom has ever watched. But, like, I, I don't know how much... 
how much headspace we need to give to saying that's not great art. Yeah, duh. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm I'm already over it. I mean, it just it just got to the point where it was fun to argue with Joel for a little while. <laughs> Fair enough. Hey, Logan Paul has his own movie now, so yes, yeah. Uh, we talked a little bit about Eddie Murphy. Like the rest of the cast, though, like uh, Craig Robinson, Mike Epps, Keegan Michael Key, of course, is great in everything. I like Titus Burgess a lot in this role, even though he's kind of typecast. Yeah, a little bit. He's kind of. I think he's going to probably always be typecast. Cody Smith McPhee did his best, you know, kind of seventies film school hipster thing, and it worked. And Wesley so, Snipes just turned out an amazing performance in this. I I agree. Yeah. I'm not a huge Wesley Snipes fan, but he did a very good job. Yeah, he was he was pretty on point. And after you see the the real life character in the film, it uh yeah he, he did him justice, if that's the way to put it. Time for a thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, sounds like we're pretty much at the end of our rope on this one. I think I think I wasted enough time arguing needlessly with Joel. So rope. <laughs> all right well uh, I, I think for me it's as obvious as it is for patrick and joel i mean a guy was a qualified and confused thumbs up for the original and a massive thumbs up for the uh you know for my name is dolomite i'm a thumbs up for the original i own it i've enjoyed all of them and so uh, that's pretty obvious and dolomite is my name yeah definitely a thumbs up and i'm uh Thumbs down and an unenthusiastic but still solid thumbs up for the now, for the My Name is Dolomite. It was definitely a good movie and it was entertaining. Um, you know, the two things are completely opposite of the original Dolomite. So. <laughs> I would say thumbs thumbs down for the then, thumbs up for the now. Knowing whatever, some, what they had to go through to make a shitty movie is cool, but the shitty movie itself is... Meh. So, thumbs down, thumbs up. All right. So, if uh, you have any questions for us or a varying opinion for us, uh, rat soup eating, insecure, honky motherfuckers, uh, <laughs> give us a call at 708 now rap. That's 708 669 9727. Yep. And uh, if you're looking for our older stuff, like I said before, iTunes, Blueberry, Stitcher, TalkShoe, Podverse FM, NoonFM.com. And all other podcasting directories, apps, and web pages. We out there. Yeah. So what do we got going on for next week, Joel? We are taking a deep dive back into movie soundtracks. Part two, Electric Boogaloo. Wait, there's Boogaloo in the next one? I don't know if I'm ready for that. <laughs> you better get your Boogaloo pants on. There's a couple, there's a couple tracks of Boogaloo. My Boogaloo pants are at the shop. They're at the Boogaloo shop. You, you got your boogaloo pants in my chocolate. Ew. Yes, I did. <laughs> no. no. Don't combine those things. Bring over that peanut butter. <laughs> got my boogaloo peanut butter and... Uh, boogaloo peanut butter. I just grossed myself out. I think he was an MC. Those were the pants I was going to wear to Dr. Captain Banana's birthday party. Don't worry. He likes the peanut butter pants. <laughs> the hell are we talking about? Then this. Okay. Oh, good night, Gracie. Was that Ubu? <laughs> That's it.
already written down in the in the show note area I guess we're locked in yeah <laughs> so, so shall it be written so shall it be done very good i didn't think anybody was gonna get that so so say we all i didn't think anybody was gonna get that one i'm impressed you know what that's from your mouth no the original you know what that's from my mouth the monkey oh my god i hate all of you it's not from captain banana either real quick before <laughs> Doctor, I didn't Whatever. go to medical school for seven Doc- years to be called <laughs> <Jesus> Captain. <Christ. laughs> Damn it, Pat, you gave him more backstory. I know, right? Fuck. Now he's Dr. Captain Banana. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Banana, eh? That sounds like an interesting new character. <laughs> Josh falls in love with Captain Banana. <laughs> None of this doctor shit. <laughs> Joel rubs his hands together menacingly. <laughs> <laughs> It's like I wanted him to be Captain Banana all along. Ah, <laughs> my ruse uh, has worked. <laughs> <laughs>